Welcome to the She Plays on Women's Football podcast. I'm your host, Harry Chan. This week, I talk with Aston Villa defender Natalie Haig about her journey to DWSL, the highs and the many lows of her career, before moving on and talking about some banana bread disasters and avoiding cameras. Would I make them banana bread? I'm going to say no, because the second time I tried to make it during lockdown, uh, it was an absolute disaster. I wouldn't have even used it as a doorstop, let alone to feed to people that were coming to my house. <laughs> but first, some news from this week. Arsenal and Netherlands forward Vivian Miedema has been named the Football Writers Association Women's Footballer of the Year. Now the 23-year-old, who missed out on an award last season by one single vote, beat Chelsea's Bethany England also by one vote to win this year. Miedema was the Women's Super League's top scorer in 2019-20 with 16 goals. She is also her country's leading goal scorer and helped the Netherlands reach last year's World Cup final. We talked about her in one of our previous episodes, so you can feel free to review that again. Meanwhile, Real Madrid have finally launched their own women's team, a decision hailed as quote a huge positive. That the Los Blancos completed a €300,000 buyout of Madrid-based club Tacon, which has now been officially renamed Real Madrid Feminino. In a statement, Real said that it wanted to quote contribute to the sport's development and growth. England international Chloe Kelly have signed a new two-year contract with Manchester City after it was announced in June that she had turned down a new deal with former club Everton. Kelly says the prospect of playing Champions League football was a massive part of her decision to join Manchester City. The forward scored nine goals in the WSL season last year before it ended and was part of the England squad that competed in the She Believes Cup. Philanthropist James Anderson will pay all travel and COVID-19 testing costs to enable Glasgow City women to play the Champions League quarter-final. Now Glasgow City faced Wolfsburg on the 21st of August in St. Sebastian, Spain, where a 10-day tournament concludes the competition. Anderson's donation is on top of the £250 he has already given to the Scottish women's game and £3 million to the men's SPFL this summer. West Ham captain Julie Flackerty is among five West Ham players to sign new contracts with the WSL club. The 28-year-old defender, forwards Alicia Lehman and Adriana Leon will remain with the Hammers as well until 2022, as well as South Korean midfielder Cho So-hyun. France midfielder Kenya Daly, meanwhile, has also signed a new one-year deal. Arsenal women have made experienced Australian defender Steph Cately the first summer signing. The 26-year-old fullback joins the Gunners from Melbourne Victory and has won 82 caps for the Matildas since her international debut, aged 18. Cately has also spent time in the United States, playing from Portland Thorns and Orlando Pride. Arsenal have also signed Switzerland midfielder Marilyn Gutt from Grasshopper Club Zurich. The 19-year-old made her senior debut for the Swiss club, aged just 15, and has won three league and cup titles in her homeland. She has also won eight international caps alongside new Arsenal teammate Leah Walty. 
Newly promoted Aston Villa woman have signed Scotland midfielder Chloe Arthur from local rivals Birmingham City. The 25-year-old is Villa's first new signing since they won promotion to the WSL. Arthur was also a member of Scotland's squad at 2019's World Cup. Aston Villa women have also signed veteran England international Anita Asante. The 35-year-old, who can play in defence or midfield, was in the Great Britain squad at London back in 2012 and left champions Chelsea last month. Manchester City and England defender Gemma Bonner has signed a two-year extension, which keeps her at the WSL club until 2022. The 28-year-old joined from Liverpool in 2018 and helped City win the FA Cup and Continental Cup in her first year. Australia forward Hayley Russell has signed an extended contract with Everton Women, keeping her at the WSL club until 2021. The 25-year-old joined from Brisbane Roar in January, but has yet to play because of injury and the season ending early after the coronavirus outbreak. Midfielder Amy Palmer has rejoined Bristol City Women on a two-year deal. She has spent past two seasons at Manchester United Women, which include a loan spell at Sheffield United. Wales winger Megan Wynne has also signed for Bristol City on a one-year contract. The 27-year-old spent last season on loan with the Robins from Tottenham. Our guest on this show, Captain Yevo Town, before joining Aston Villa last season, she has then started every single game and kept an undefeated record in the Championship, gaining promotion to the WSL next season. Please welcome Aston Villa defender Natalie Hague. Hello, Natalie. How are you doing? Hi, I'm very well, thank you. First of all, I want to start by congratulating you for your promotion to the WSL.、Um, thank you. Because you joined, let's see, joined last year、uh, in Aston Villa, and you started every single game. There's an undefeated record, and then you're now promoted. How does all that feel for you?、Uh, yeah, it's、uh, it's an interesting one.、Uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster year in a in a very good way.、Um, I think I was lucky that I was given a chance by by Gemma, the manager, and essentially、um, playing in a very good team and in a very difficult league. I think there was lots of teams that could have challenged for the, you know, for the for the top spot, and、um, there'll be many teams next year that do the same. But yeah, really enjoyed the year, and and obviously great to to get so many minutes in in Claret and Blue. It's really a roller coaster ride for you because now. You recovered, I know, from a back injury a few years back、uh, before, and now you're going to play in the WSL next season. Did you ever imagine this path before?、Um, I mean, it's—I've always dreamed it. It's kind of what I've always wanted.、Um, I think, you know, when any player suffers a, an injury, it's there's lots of questions around. You know, when am I going to come back? Can I come back?、Um, If I do come back, will I be good enough? Will I be fit enough? Because essentially, the game moves on quickly,、um, and I think that's shown in in the way that women's football in this country has progressed over the last few years. So, yeah, you know, it seems a long a long time ago now. And and actually, after after my injury, I played in the in the WSL Spring Series when it when it kind of first came round for Yeovil.、Um, but you know, I wasn't ready, and I, and I wasn't good enough.、Um, and after that season, I, I left the club. Um, which was probably the you know the right thing,、um, 
but yeah, it's it's crazy to think that that was almost four or five years ago now. And and next season, I'm looking at a, a season in the WSL, and and I think it's an interesting one. Um, I think I was as surprised as everybody when you know I was offered a contract with the club, but. Hopefully it's a sign that hard work and, and patience and determination pays off eventually. Definitely, I think we can all agree on that. Um, so I want to talk a bit more about the time when you were injured, because you were out for 15 months, which is like very, very long time for any athlete. How, how did you handle that challenge? Um, if I'm being honest, initially I didn't handle it very well. Um, when I initially got like my results from the hospital, um, I asked the question if I would ever be able to play, you know, not professional football because I'd never been a, a full professional, but essentially if I could go back and play to the level that I had been. Um, and I guess it's difficult for doctors to say yes or no because they don't know everything. But the answer was kind of like, you'll probably be able to play, but probably not at a high level or not at the level that you have been. So... I remember when I kind of heard that, I, I broke down a little bit and I wasn't really sure because football's kind of been my life, to be honest. And um, I was just a bit, like I say, unsure of, of what was next and, and where I was going to go. So, yeah, initially I didn't take it very well and, and it took me, you know, a good kind of five, six months to, to come to terms with, with it um, and actually just kind of understand more about it and how I could manage it. Um, and essentially, yeah, I just ended up back in the gym and, fell in love with the gym a little bit um, and started to just get strong and, and felt better in myself and, and essentially, yeah, just kind of went from there, really. I want to ask a bit about, you know, you said that you started going back to the gym five or six months uh, after um, your injury. Would you say there was one thing or one person who gave, showed you the, the courage, or sh like gave you the courage to go back to, to, to there? Um, yeah, it's a difficult one because I kind of separated myself from, from football at that point. I thought I was done. So essentially my teammates moved on, my coaches moved on and, you know, that, that's how, you know, sport goes. But I think I was lucky enough to, to work in a, in a university, in a, in a sports department where there were lots of fit people, lots of driven people, um, lots of sports people. Um, so essentially just kind of bounced off them really and, like I said, got back into the gym and, and was lucky enough to be introduced to a, a strength and conditioning coach called Graham, who very kindly took me under his wing and, and just got me back strong and, and just confident again, I guess. Well, was there anything that you learned from your captaining side pretty early on in your career? Uh, yeah, so I only actually captained Jovo before my injury uh, in the WSL2. Um, but I had previously been a captain at, at other clubs that I'd played at, um, at a lower level. Um, and I think, you know, one of the biggest things you learn when you're given that responsibility is, is just, I guess, how to manage yourself better because you're constantly on a pedestal where, you know, people are looking up to you or people are looking to you for the answers. And, and do you know what, that year I played in a very talented team and I had players like Corinne Yorston, who was obviously an ex-England international and um, played in the Champions League for Bristol, etc. Um, you know, and I was captain of a team that she was in, and and I and I couldn't believe it to be honest. Um, so yeah, I think I think you just kind of have to suck things up a little bit, and you know, you have to be that leader, you have to be that communicator, you have to almost be that level head and somebody that people can come to. Um, and I think you know, it it does bring pressure, but it's a good kind of pressure. Um, 
I felt like my performances got better um, because there was that expectation that I was leading um, by example. Um, so yeah, I'd say I'd say that was the biggest thing, just managing yourself and and managing your emotions and and trying to step up to the plate really and and be that kind of sounding board for other players and like I said, somebody to look up to. You mentioned a bit earlier that you know you stopped playing a bit. Um, after uh, after your injury, but after also joining Coventry, um, now, was it was it difficult to you know rediscover really the fun in playing football, playing the sports? Yeah, I think after my injury, it, it definitely was. It was a strange feeling to eventually go back to playing, um, and after the spring series, because like I said, I, I then left over or, or was released. It. Uh, I actually ended up playing rugby for a bit um, just as a change because I'd kind of just lost my way a little bit with football. Um, so I ended up just playing a different sport, loved it, like had a really good time. Um, and then I guess with Coventry, it was a difficult one because during my second season there, I had some um, personal issues that meant I couldn't play. Uh, I'd come back from Denmark and my international clearance didn't go through for a while. So my season was very up and down anyway. Um, and I just got to a point where I was juggling lots of things away from the pitch in regards to my career and trying to progress as a coach and a manager of a football academy and um, a coach mentor for the FA. And it just got to a point where I didn't feel like I was giving everything I could to the club and, and I didn't feel like the club deserved that or the players that were there. And I just didn't think it was a good match anymore. And, and as you've probably seen, they went on and got promoted uh, that season. So it was maybe a good move all round for the club. but. Yeah, I just I just reached a point where I wasn't really sure where I was going with with my career or with football, and um, like I said, I, I just couldn't give to Coventry what what they needed or what I felt um, I should be given. Because when we fast forward to now, um, obviously a lot of things are, are very amazing at your club at Aston Villa, and be, not just being in WSL, but just the sheer amount of you know, support from the men's team, the banner in the Premier League, you know, congratulating your team on being promoted, which is uh, which is a start. It's not everything, but it's a good start. You know, how do you think the amount of support from the men's team help or maybe even influence you as a player for, in the women's team? Yeah, I think it's huge. Um, I remember when I was uh, younger, when I was 16, and, I, and I, I was playing for Leeds United back then, and, you know, we were supported by the men's team, and as soon as they got uh, kind of relegated, it was it was a different story. And but things were very different back then. And I think the way that women's football has developed now, um, you know, it's great to see so many big clubs supporting their their women and, and getting women's teams set up, girls' teams set up, etc. Um, and I cannot like express how much you know Aston Villa Football Club has supported us and has been there for us, um, has provided for us, has given us opportunities as both individuals and as a team to to push ourselves and progress. Um, and yeah, I think everyone everyone in the team was delighted to see that banner up at, at Villa Park. And it's kind of a great statement for us. Um, it, it honestly means the world to us to see that level of support. And I think it's it's one of the, the only ways that maybe women's football at professional level can survive over the next few years, at least until it becomes self-sustainable. Um, and like I said, it, you know, Real Madrid have just set up a women's team. Um, Man United obviously didn't have one for a while and they came out of the blue and look where they are now. You know, they're doing fantastically well. So, yeah, like I said, I, I cannot... I can't express the amount of support that Aston Villa Football Club has shown us and, and it does help. 
um, and you can see how women's football is progressing because of that help from from their male counterparts. I see, um, because not only is you know, of course, being promoted is amazing, but also when we look at your manager, uh, Gemma Davies, she's a very young manager as well. So does it feel different to play under a manager who is quite young and might be, you know, of a similar generation, if I may, uh, with you? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Um, you think that you think it would be strange, but the thing with Gem is she's so level-headed, um, She's got so much knowledge, like she's got a huge wealth of knowledge for somebody of her age. Um, you know, she's very mature at times um, in regards to her coaching. Uh, and it never it never seems that way. It never seems like, you know, she's younger than myself or, or any of the older players. You know, she's, she's just so um, incredible at what she does. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm excited to see where the future takes her because she's a very exciting, you know, coach, manager, whatever you want to call it. Um, and, I, and I definitely think she's the right person to be at Aston Villa women at the moment and, and take the club forward. I see. Because you said that um, she's mature as a coach. Um, because we, we heard that she you know, dressed up as a, a chicken for your team meetup. Um, so I suppose the mature, maturity stays on pitch. But um, you know, is it, it, does she have a different approach compared to perhaps maybe older coaches or more traditional coaches? Is that so? Is it just similar? Um, I think every coach is unique in their own right. Obviously, being a coach myself, I think it's one of the things you pride yourself on. You, you don't want to be um, kind of a copycat or you don't want to be a mirror image of something that's already out there. Um, but I guess, like, Jem does have a lot of different sides to her. And I think one of the best things about her is that she really understands individuals. Um, and she knows how to get the best out of people. And I think, you know, the chicken suit isn't where it ends. Gemma's got a whole kind of range of fancy dress outfits. There's also a lobster in there that we've we've witnessed recently. So, um, you know, I think, like I said, Gemma knows how to get the best out of people and she knows when to flip the switch and, and go from kind of serious to caring or caring to, you know, back to serious again. And I think that's what makes her great. You know, she she knows how to pull people together um, she's excellent at what she does in regards to coaching and her antics off the pitch in regards to her fancy dress, I guess, just help lift the mood when, you know, when we need it. Um, and I guess they just show that she's human. And I think, like I said, that's the best thing about her. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting wardrobe to, to see. But um, <laughs> so you, you, because, you know, I want to move on a bit to, you know, the different leagues you've played in, because now, of course, you're going to play in the WSL, that's a professional league. But you've also played in, you know, a championship, which is a non-professional league. You know, what do you think, and of course, other leagues as well, but what do you think is the biggest difference between, you know, the leagues that you've played in? Yeah, uh, it's an interesting question, because I think, you know, being a professional player is an insane opportunity. And when you've been a semi-pro or, you know, an amateur footballer trying to play against a professional team, it it's difficult, um, especially if you've had a long day at work or you've worked all week and then you're expected to, you know, go and play against Manchester City or Arsenal or Chelsea at the weekend. But I think over the, the last few years, that gap's definitely closed a lot. Um, and I know there are teams in the championship and in, you know, the third tier of women's football that have really kind of pushed professional teams all the way this year, in, like I said, in the FA Cup um, and obviously looking at some of the Continental Cup results as well. Um, I think one of the biggest differences is is speed of play, like uh, speed of thought process um, and fitness. Essentially, when you when you get to that top level, it's relentless. 
um you cannot switch off you've got to you've got to kind of be involved for 90 plus minutes not just physically but mentally as well um and you know those girls that are playing for England or have played internationally or, or have been playing professionally you, you can see that in in their game um you know they're they're fantastic kind of wizards of their craft if you like and, and like I said not only can they do it physically but but they can think faster as well and they do things faster um so yeah I think speed of play for me is the biggest one um and maybe just personality as well I think you get a lot of players in the WSL they're a big strong characters like they're they're very aware of themselves they know how to push themselves they know how to push other people um and sometimes that you know that can that can overshadow kind of technical ability because it kind of drives a team forward. It drives other individuals forward as well. Now, because one of the things that we noticed about, you know, different leagues, and of course you play in Yevil Town, is that in the leagues below, you know, some of the times there could be financial troubles, especially given now. Um, because unfortunately, a few years ago, we know that Yevil Town, you know, suffered their own financial problems themselves. Um, they got points deducted and then they were ultimately relegated, which was very unfortunate. But you know, how does it affect you as a player, you know, to, to see all that's happening at the club at that time? Yeah, I think with Yeovil, it's an interesting story because that club came out of nowhere. And the reason it came out of nowhere was that there was lots of good people behind the scenes that, you know, put in a hell of a shift to, to get the bid into the FA, to get them into the WSL too. And I was lucky enough to join them when they first got into what was back then the WSL2. And do you know what? We had a great manager and like I said, some great people behind the scenes that really worked hard to, to get that club up and running. Um, I think the difficulty was, as we've already kind of alluded to, that it, without sounding disrespectful, Yeovil Town men, maybe, you know, they're not a Premier League team. So essentially there wasn't a huge budget to go, yeah, we really want to support you guys. Here you go. I mean, the club were great. They let us play at Hewish Park and, you know, we shared the same kit, etc. So they were great in that sense. But unfortunately, you know, at times and in this day and age, finance does come into it. And I think there were lots of excellent people at Yeovil that, that tried to make the club self-sustainable and tried to get in big sponsorship and things like that. And at times as a player, it was frustrating that we'd, I remember playing in the spring series and we'd occasionally get, you know, um, you know, we, we didn't win. Well, I think we got one point in that spring series, but people would kind of put us down on the women's football show and, and, you know, say negative things about us. And essentially we were all very aware that we weren't at the same standard as an Arsenal or a Manchester City because we weren't professional players. Uh, I know for me, I was working in a primary school as a teaching assistant Monday to Friday and then travelling a four-hour round trip to get to training twice a week. And, you know, we're playing against players that are training all day, every day. So I think that was the most frustrating thing was that people didn't understand that, yes, Yeovil Town was a WSL club, but it it didn't have the same backing that other clubs had. It didn't have the same provision. Um, and you know what? That was a great group of girls who really fought, you know, and, and gave everything they could on the pitch. And likewise, the staff that were then in charge as well. So it was a real shame to see kind of how that happened. But it's the same with Donny Bells. You know, they've always been, you know, one of the flagship clubs in women's football. And, and it's a shame to see that. Um, you've got Fulham as well, who, you know, 20 years ago, one of the best teams in, in the country in women's football. Um, so, yeah, I think it's a real shame. And, and I really hope that, you know, in five, 10 years time, there's things in place that allow clubs that are currently in tier three and four. So someone like Sunderland, for example, who I'm sure will be back in the in the championship very soon. Um, 
will allow them to be financially stable and not allow things like that to happen that have happened to Doncaster and to Yeovil. If you look back to um, when, when you're like, say, 18-year-old, when you're first starting or about to start to play, you know, what advice would you have given yourself? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, there's quite a few things, to be honest. Um, I'd have to say I wasn't the most uh, psychologically tough player when I was younger. Um, and I think I took setbacks a little bit uh, harder than I should have done. Uh, I should have seen them as an opportunity to grow and develop and work harder. Um, and the more I look back, you know, that's that's probably one of my, not regrets, but one of the things I wish I'd done sooner. Um, so I think for any young player, it's about one, working hard and being prepared to have setbacks and work through them. Um, but also communication. I think one of the things I lacked as a, an 18 year old was the ability to say to my coach, look, I'm not playing. That's fine. But what do I need to do to get better? Um, and I think any good coach will be transparent and honest with players and, and tell them what they need to do. So, yeah, I guess they would be my two. Work hard um, and also make sure you communicate with those around you and ask questions. See, now, before that, every single time we have some quickfire questions for our guests, we have some for you here as well. They spin off from one of those uh, famous you know, interview questions they like to ask sometimes on late night. Um, that is, if you can invite any football player, that's what we changed, um, dead or alive, to your house for lunch, will you make them banana bread? <laughs> uh, so you're not asking me who it would be, you're just asking me if I'd But you can also say who, who it would be if you want, if you want to. Yeah. Okay. And it'd have to be a player. Well, it could be a coach. If you, anyone in the, in the football industry, for that matter, maybe. Okay, so I'd love to sit down with Alex Ferguson. Um, I studied him in my master's degree, and I think he's fascinating as a coach. So I'd love to, I'd love to sit down with Fergie and have a chat with him. Um, and playing-wise, my hero, uh, maybe shouldn't admit this, but I'm a big Leeds fan, so my hero was always Lucas Radaby. Um, and I loved him because not only was he a very good player, he was also a very good person. Um, and I'd love to chat kind of more to him about his influences and, and kind of what he's up to now. Um, would I make them banana bread? I'm going to say no, because the second time I tried to make it during lockdown, uh, it was an absolute disaster. I wouldn't have even used it as a doorstop, let alone to feed to people that were coming to my house. <laughs> we want to know if you have any pre-match rituals that you think it might be a bit weird or something just you just do before a game. Yeah, so I don't have many, but I do have one that's a little bit weird. Um, I like to be the last person out of the changing room. So if I'm starting in a game, uh, like for some reason, I, I couldn't even tell you why. I just like to be the last one out of the changing room. I think it's because I don't want to be on in the pictures in the tunnel. So I like to just hang at the back and essentially get my head together um, and just kind of, you know, fade into fade onto the pitch and, and get going with the game. Um it's weird because I don't really care. Like, say, if I get out of the change room and someone says, oh, I have to be the last one out of the tunnel, I'm like, yeah, that's fine. Um, but last one out of the change room, um, that has to be me. I see. All right. Okay. Let's say after the interview, right? Uh, if, you say, you for any reason find a lottery ticket and wins £100 million, how would you spend it? Again, it's a great question. I was thinking about this for a long time. Um, well, I've just bought a house, so I'd probably pay off my mortgage. Um, I'd probably go on holiday because obviously thanks to COVID I was supposed to be going to Dubai a few weeks ago and jumping out of a plane and that didn't happen um, so yeah and then I think you know with the majority it would be nice to see that invested in in girls football in this country I think and 
particularly in maybe areas where there isn't much provision. Um, so I've actually just moved from Gloucestershire, which is a county that has some absolutely brilliant um, girls football teams, but there's you know not a lot of investment or exposure to to kind of women's teams. Um, and I think it would be great to see more women's teams cropping up over the country that are competing to play at that highest level. Um, so yeah, just just investing it back in the game, to be honest, and especially for young girls coming through, so that they have an opportunity to to kind of do things that maybe I didn't as a kid, which I'm now having the opportunity to do. But you know, I, I'd like to think that in a few years' time, six, seven, eight, nine-year-olds will have really good academy programs to go and play in. Which, again, there are some, um, and they are getting you know more widespread across the country. But yeah, just grassroots football, um, and to those that need it most, I guess. Um, you said that when you um, go to Dubai, you want to like jump off the plane. Do, do you mean like literally? Is there like a skydiving thing? Because that's that's just what I heard, and I was just wondering. Yeah, sorry, I didn't make that very clear, did I? Um, so no, I love. Um, I've got a weird obsession with like flying. Um, I've flown a plane before. I've flown a helicopter before, um, and I was bought a skydive uh, as a birthday present this year. So yeah, I was set to jump out of a plane doing a skydive <laughs> over the palm in Dubai. <laughs> because because I was like, you're going to Dubai. I was just wondering, you mean getting off the plane, or do you mean skydiving? <laughs> that, that's okay. That's cool. Because. Yeah, that's basically all our questions, but we just want to end with one segment which we name uh, The Voices, which is like a segment, I'm not sure whether you've heard it before, where we ask, you know, whoever comes on, our guests, to just say anything they want to different young girls and boys who, of course, you just mentioned them, who are facing challenges, especially, of course, during the lockdown and all that, um, to, when chasing their dreams. So we just want to ask you to say anything you want to, you know, those younger kids who might want to become a football player like you. Never let anything stand in your way. Always overcome obstacles. So always find a way to go through them, round them, over them, whatever it takes. Just don't go backwards from them. Um, work hard. It's, it sounds so kind of, you know, cheesy or whatever. And I know a lot of people say it, but essentially if you work hard at the things you need to work hard on and you ask what those things are, then essentially you're only ever going to improve. Um, research, think like think about how you can get better. Always want to be a better version of yourself, and I guess never ever stand still. So always keep moving forward, even if it's sideways a little bit. Always keep moving. Always keep progressing. Thank, thank you for the message, and thank you, you know, for joining us on the show. It's a pleasure to have you on. Thanks, Harry. Thanks a lot. Here's what else you need to know this week. Arsenal have signed Australian goalkeeper Lydia Williams. The 32-year-old who has joined the Gunners from Melbourne City has won 88 caps for her country. Liverpool women have signed former Reading goalkeeper Rachel Laws on an undisclosed length deal. The 29-year-old was a free agent after leaving the Royals last month, where she had spent two years there. Everton women have signed England under-21 international Poppy Pattinson following her exit from fellow WSL club Bristol City. And Sheffield United women part company with manager Carla Ward. Ward guided the team to second in Women's Championship before the season was curtailed. Sheffield United chief executive Betis said that, quote, both parties have opted to go down a different path.
that's it for our show this week. If you liked the podcast, remember to rate, subscribe and share it with your friends and family. We'll be back next week. Thank you again for listening. I'm Harry Chan and this is the She Plays On Women's Football Podcast. Yeah.